All right, so we continue with this series, a mindset, the mindset for miracles, the mindset for miracles. And last week, I started to share with you some powerful principles. If you weren't here, please catch that message. How many of you think it's worth catching? Catch that message uh, via our website, okay? I spoke about how we need to be delivered. The first shift is to be delivered from naturalism to not be naturalistic in our thinking. And many of us as Christians have been bound by naturalism. What is naturalism? Where everything must be explained scientifically, right? And then my second point was that we must know what we carry. Peter and John at the gate called beautiful, what did they do? The man comes and he's looking at them and he's expecting some money and they say, silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give unto you. We must know what we have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Amen? My question to you this morning is, do you know what you carry? Do you know what you carry? And then we go into our third shift. We must not be passive. That's what we're starting on today. We must not be passive. How many of you know that a lot of Christians are bound today by the spirit of slumber? I'm telling you right now, if we want to see more miracles happening in our families, in our businesses, in our communities, there's no room for slumber. We must not be passive. And we look in scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. It says here, and from the time of John the Baptist, from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. How does the kingdom of heaven advance? forcefully. Why does the kingdom of heaven have to advance forcefully? Because there's resistance. Amen? There is resistance. And the thing is, a lot of Christians today are fatalistic. So their mindset is, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. How many of you know that you can be prayed for and you can be completely healed, but then what happens is two days later, the symptoms try to come back. So what we do, we resist, we refuse Often when my wife tells me that she's not feeling well, she doesn't just say, I'm not feeling well. I say, how are you doing, my love? And she says to me, I'm just refusing something. That's a language I've noticed nowadays. It's not, I'm feeling sick. It's, I'm refusing certain symptoms. That's the space that she's in. Amen? The kingdom of God is advancing forcefully. What things have you accepted from the enemy, and yet God is saying, stand and resist? What is happening in the workplace right now, and God is saying to you, stand and resist, but you've said to yourself, I think it must be God's will, and I'm going with the flow. I believe that a lot of Christians today are agreeing with the devil. So the enemy will say to you, don't worry, just be humble. Even if it takes you five years to be promoted, just accept it. This is your lot in life. Remember, you were in the third set at school. Do you remember how back in the day, did you guys have that sets, streams, where the brainy kids we're in the top stream, and the kids who are a bit, let's call it slower, slower to catch on to things, right? We're in the fourth set. And some people are bound by that today. I've seen people who are in the third or fourth set at school, but they became believers, they understood that they had the mind of Christ, and today they're doing phenomenal things. There's a particular guy, when we were about 12 years of age, youngsters, we would go into the bush and we would preach to people. To our, to our friends, but we would do this adventure. I went to a boarding school and we would be out in the bush doing all sorts of exciting things. It was one of those nice boarding schools, kind of a bit out of town, okay? And I remember we would go there and we would preach together. At a certain point, he backslid. 
okay? Kind of backs it. He was one of the few black guys I know who likes snakes. And there was a snake club at our school. It was one of those schools, you know, there were bird clubs, uh, falconry, you know, falconry clubs, right? And um, there was a snake club. And he was one of those guys who would walk around with snakes and he would go like this to everyone and so on. But he was one of the few black people I know who like snakes. But anyway, he backslid at a certain point. But now he's bounced back and he's a pastor. And I was, now this guy was in about the third or fourth set for certain things and so on, right? A nice guy though, but it's amazing watching on Facebook when the guy is preaching and the things he's saying. You know those guys when they're preaching but they're quoting research and talking about psychologists are saying today and giving you stats and so on. And I'm like, ah, is this so-and-so? God can do that. You've been given the mind of Christ. Amen? So don't just accept the situation and the circumstances that you're in. But say to yourself, what do I need to resist? I don't know about you, but there are things in my life I need to resist. We cannot be passive as believers. What is happening in your marriage? Have you just accepted it, saying, this is the person I married. Ah, you know, I must just accept it. Maybe God is punishing me for certain things I did wrong. You know that that's what the spirit of condemnation does? You see, when you are bound by a guilty conscience, do you know what happens? Guilt attracts punishment. So when you're bound by a, a guilty conscience, the Bible says fear has to do with punishment. So very often you feel anxious that God is about to nab you for something because you're still bound by a guilty conscience. And a lot of people have accepted second best in their life because they're like thinking to themselves, but what should I have been expecting anyway? My life would never have turned out greatly. I think God is punishing me for things that I've done. That's for someone in this room right now. That's not your portion. Amen? That's not your portion. What things have you accepted in your life that God is saying you must actually start resisting? Is it sickness in your body? How many of you know that there's a person that Jesus prayed for, a person who struggled in seeing? And what happened? When Jesus healed him, Jesus asked, so tell us what's going on. What can you see? What's going on? He says, I'm seeing men walking around, but they look like trees. And what did Jesus do? It says he then prayed for him a second time and the person was completely healed. Some of you came for prayer and it was a partial healing. Someone said to me, you know what, it's six out of ten now. Okay, someone else we were praying for the other, the other night, right near the end, at, I think it was the end of Ignite. Was it Ignite or it was, the, it was last week Sunday. I said, how are you doing now? They said six out of ten. I said, prayed again, how are you doing now? Eight out of ten. How are you doing now? Nine out of ten. How are you doing now? Ten out of ten. Amen? Do not accept partial healing. I don't know about you, but we serve a great God. He's mighty. He's powerful. So it's great that you've improved, and thank God for that, but keep resisting until the healing is complete. Amen? Forcefulness is the opposite of passivity. God is looking for hunger and brokenness. How hungry are you? The Bible tells us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not those who just think righteousness is a nice idea. Yeah, maybe I'll have it. I'll try righteousness. You know when people say, try Jesus. Just try Jesus. No, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want to ask you a question this morning. How badly do you want it? Whatever that breakthrough is that you are crying out to God for, how badly do you want it? That person in your life and you want them to be saved, how badly do you want them to be saved? 
How badly do you want it? That new business you want to start, how badly do you want it? I was listening to Sir Alex Ferguson speak, a certain talk he was giving, and he was just downplaying the concept of talent. And he was saying, of course there's talent, and of course that's important, but you know what? When I started with these kids, and you're talking about that, you know, the, you know, the Paul Scholes and all those guys, is it, it's okay, I'm not saying this just because I'm a Man United person, it's just a good example in terms of leadership, okay, encouraging people. But he said, when I started with those guys way back in the 90s, he said that the thing that was different about them is desire. Desire, they wanted it. I believe Jesus is asking you this morning, what do you want? What do you want? I still remember, I think it was when I was doing my master's, it was towards the end of the 90s, and I remember speaking to the, the vice chancellor at the university I was at, and I thought he would give me answers, and I was a bit passive about it, and I was trying to plan my future, where I would go, what nation I would end up being in, what I should study, and I remember asking him, I, I mean, to get a meeting with the vice chancellor is quite something, and I went in there thinking, this man is just going to give me all the answers. And I said, so, so what do you think I should do? I've done this and I've done this. I've been lecturing a bit. I've been doing this. What should I do? And you know what he said to me? And it was so godlike. What do you want? And I was stunned because I wasn't used to that. I was kind of like floating along thinking you just go with the flow. Then he says, what do you want? And I couldn't give him a clear answer. I believe God is asking you right now, what do you want and how badly do you want it? Because when you badly, desperately want something, my friend, you don't just pray, you make a please. I spoke about that at Ignite on Friday. Remember when Solomon, the Bible says that God spoke to Solomon, it was the time when Solomon met with God the second time, right? And says, God said, I've heard your prayers and your plea. Why did he distinguish between prayer and plea? Because the two are not the same thing. Amen? How many lawyers do we have in the room here? Okay, Stuart has had to go. But yeah, we've got a couple of lawyers. Deb, you'll agree with me, Deb. You'll agree with me. There's a difference between a prayer and a plea. How many of you know that sometimes when you're making a plea, it's in response to being called guilty. And there you are, you're the defense lawyer, and you're making a plea on behalf of the person you're defending, aren't you? Sometimes when you make a plea, you're basically saying, please, can you waiver this? Please, can you adjust some kind of something in the law because of this particular case we know? How many of you know that there are covenants that we have with God? And based on those covenants, we can make a plea. And we can say, God, I know this thing has been running in my family line for a long time. God, I know I haven't served you faithfully all these years. God, I know that I'm only starting to be a tither now. God, I know that I didn't speak nicely to my wife the other day. I know all of this, but because of the blood of Jesus, because of the covenant I have with you, I am making a plea. God hears your pleas. Are you hearing me this morning? You see, the nature of God's covenants, it's what we call a suzerain covenant. A suzerain covenant. How many of you are familiar with that? You know, I think it might be used in, in, in the legal world and so on. Okay, or those of you who've studied history. It's a term that was basically used S-U-Z-E-R-A-I-N, like rain, the rain from the sky, suzerain. Okay, it was popularized and first used with the Ottoman Empire. Okay, a suzerain covenant or a suzerain treaty basically speaks of a treaty that is initiated by the sovereign party or the higher 
party, the greater one. Are you following? This is very powerful because you can make very strong prayers on this basis, very aggressive prayers on this basis. You see, the Bible tells us that it's the earnest, heartfelt prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous man that makes tremendous power available. Amen? It doesn't just say the prayer of a righteous man. It says the fervent prayer of a righteous man. How do you pray fervently? You pray fervently based on covenant. Is everyone following? You see, when you know that there's a covenant that sues reign, what do we mean by sues reign? It's a covenant that has been initiated by God. But you see, this was a term that was used. If you study history, you'll notice, do you remember the, em the empire, the Chinese empire? Chinese empire, right? And the emperor of China pretty much believed that the whole civilized world was under him, right? And the, the concept of something being suzerain, they would make covenants, right? But they would initiate them. The other people had no say. But what was unique was the other nations functioned independently. So they were independent nations, right? But then the greater empire would basically then say, you know what, guys? This is the covenant. You have to do this, 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 this. These are the borders you must use. This is how you must function. This is the currency we'll use. This is how it'll operate. And if you do that, we'll back you up and we'll make sure that uh, we protect you when other guys, the uncivilized people, try and attack you. Amen? That's a suzerain covenant or suzerain treaty. Does that make sense? The nature of God's covenants is their suzerain. And what is powerful about this is you're not the one initiating them. You see, many times people try to make covenants with God where it's the lesser making a covenant with the greater. So they're like, God, if you do this, I'll do this for you. It's not a powerful covenant. Sometimes it's just trying to manipulate God to do what you want him to do. Amen? I want to encourage you. Study the covenants in Scripture. Give, and it'll be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Amen? Study the covenants in Scripture and stand on them. Very often the covenants in Scripture that are suzerain, they sound like promises, don't they? They're those promises you read in Scripture that have conditions to them, but they're actually covenants. My friends, when you master that, it's amazing what happens and it's amazing the boldness of your prayers as a result of it. If we want to see the miraculous, we need to stand on these covenants. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. The secret of spiritual success is a hunger that persists. Now, this is a guy who used to raise people from the dead and do amazing things, right? The secret of spiritual success is a hunger that persists. It is an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. It's an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. How many of you are satisfied with your spiritual atta attainments? Smith Wigglesworth said, it's an awful condition to be in that situation, all right? Um, and then he went to say, God was and is looking for hungry, thirsty people. So I'm asking you this morning again, how badly do you want it? How badly do you want it? You see, there are different levels of hunger that people have. My good friend Temba Malaba, you know Temba? Pastors the, the Every Nation Church in Sunning Hill. We're chatting the other day, and... Um, he said, you know what, I'd reached a point in my life where I actually thought to myself, you know what, I kind of feel like I've done pretty much, you know. I, uh, people were dying around him, he was going to funerals and so on. And he was like thinking to himself, you know what, even if I died, you know, I think, I think I'll, it's okay. I think I've done enough for God. 
And then he went down to, uh, in Durban, they had a thing on the miraculous, they were doing all sorts of things there. And uh, I think it was Lumba Lumba, it was one of the top evangelists who was there sharing. And this person was describing all the great things he had done, and he said, you know what, I don't feel like I've done anything for God. One of the top evangelists who I was talking about last, last week, one of the top evangelists on the continent was like, I don't feel like I've done anything for God. And Temba said that was a wake-up call for him. If this guy is saying this, then what about me? Amen? You see, it's relative. For some of you, you're so proud of yourselves just because you're sitting in church today. You kind of think like, ah, the angels are like, whoa, well done, my brother. Huh? You think, you think there's a big dance in heaven just because you've come to church. You're impressed with yourself. Ah, God is proud of me. And then you're now going to pray bold, confident prayers tonight because, ah, I did my church thing. You think guys in heaven are doing running men there, you know, because you, you pitched up to church. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. It's an awful condition to be satisfied with one's spiritual attainments. How hungry are you? People say to me, oh, Paul, how many books have you done? Oh, is it now 28? Oh, is it almost 30? Oh, is it almost... A... I'm not impressed with that. I'm not impressed with that. Why? Because I know what God has called me to. I know the type of revelation that's there. You'll see with one of the books coming out on the inner life. When the person was helping me with the manuscripts, Cherish, was working on it, she said she had to keep stopping and praying. When I was then doing a second edit on it, it was the same thing for me. There was such a strong anointing there. And I'm saying, God, nations need to see this. Amen? It was powerful. And when Esteris, it was really great because the guy who introduced me, he was basically saying, and they were giving out my books, and he was saying, oh, this one, Business God's Way, this is my favorite. I'm thinking, huh? There are guys out there who are reading my books, and they're, they're obviously reading multiple because they're like, this one, this one is my favorite for my business. I'm not satisfied. That's why I'm keeping, I continue to push. Amen? But some of you have come to a place where you're like, you know what? We all get sick from time to time, so let's just accept it. Refuse it. It's not your portion. Ah, no, we all fail our exams from time to time. It's normal. It's natural. Don't give up. Push through until you pass. Ah, no. You know, it's difficult. Money is hard to come by. Can I share with you something? Money is not hard to come by. Because the nature of the kingdom of God, it's the science of abundance, not the science of scarcity. Money is not hard to come by. Say that to the person next to you. The if, you study, if you study a common denominator amongst wealthy people, guess what they believe? Whether they're saved or unsaved, guess what their fun fundamental belief is? There's lots of money out there to be made. Fundamental belief. And you know what the second thing is? Their mindset is, I can have a piece of it. Unsaved people living in sin, they have a belief that, oh, I can have a piece of it. But you as a believer are here in church and you've done what we call deauthorization, self-deauthorization. Where God just says, go for it, go for it. And you're like, no, I think I'll go off the show. Those of you who grew up in Zim in the time that I grew up, there was the, what is called the surf, have a go show, right? And you'd have people saying, go for it, go for it. The crowd would be saying that. And one guy, it was an opportunity, but he kept saying, no, I think I'll go off the show. And some of you, that's your mindset today. God is saying, go for it. God is saying, go for it. And you're saying, no, I think I'll go off the show. <laughs> Amen? How badly do you want it? Do not be passive. Do not be passive. 
Do not be passive. Number four, we must understand that God wants to show his power in and through us. Many people will say, I believe, Paul, that God is mighty, that God is powerful, but I think it's for other people. I think it's for people in America. It's those guys. I think it's for the people in Nigeria. Yes, I believe God can do miracles, but I think it's those guys who've tapped into some other revelation. I think it's for that prophet down the road. No, it's not just for that prophet down the road. It's for you and me. There's an opportunity to shout a big amen. amen. Okay? It's for you and me. Watch this. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Do you know what that means when it says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro? It means that God is watching you. It means that God is checking you out. It means that God is trying to listen in on some of your conversations. And that word to and fro, it's got the meaning of he passes a situation, but he always comes back in case he hadn't checked it out in depth enough. You know when you're looking for something, like those of you who look for your keys at home, how many of you have to keep looking for your car keys? Do you know why you have to keep looking for your car keys? I hardly ever have to look for my car keys because there's a place for my car keys. There's no temporary landing space for my car keys. I, I keep saying to my family, guys, there must be no temporary landing space for things. Otherwise, we waste so much time. One of the biggest time wasters is looking for things. Amen? But what is interesting is God looks, this perfect God who sees perfectly, he's going to and fro. Why is he going to and fro? Because he's thinking like, okay, maybe Paul is thinking differently now. When I passed him by last time, he wasn't ready for it. But let me just go and check again to see where he's at. Amen? And I think it's so powerful. God wants to show his power in and through us. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In other words, you don't have to twist God's arm for you to get your breakthrough. God is already diligently searching for those whose hearts are loyal to him so that he can show off his strength in your life. Isn't that powerful? He actually wants to do it. He actually wants to do the miracle. What does it mean when it says to show his strength on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him? What's God's strength? When God's strength pitches up in your life, it is not natural. It is supernatural. People will look and they will be amazed. You will become the wonder. How many of you know that you have signs and wonders? But how many of you know that you can be the wonder? Amen? I've got a friend called Wonder. And I'm just thinking it's a powerful name to have. He's called Wonder and he does amazing things actually. Right? But isn't this amazing? He says, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So what's my responsibility? Loyal heart. What my wife said about the New Covenant, New Testament, heart. Loyal heart. Loyal heart. Lord, I mean, I've worked with my heart. My heart is loyal to you, completely loyal. Oh, this is the kind of person I'm looking for. Now show my strength on your behalf. Now, does it say he is roaming to and fro, his eyes are roaming to and fro, looking for the latest hot prophet? 
looking for someone who's good looking, looking for someone who is clever, looking for someone who's charismatic. No, for one whose heart is loyal to him. You know, you know what I love about God? Everyone qualifies, everyone can qualify. It doesn't say, oh no, only if you're from this tribe. Not only if you're cut, the color of your skin is like this. Heart loyal. Isn't that powerful? In John 14, verse 12, Jesus says, He who believes in me, these works that you see me doing, he will do them, but he'll do even greater. So don't say to me like, no, Paul, you know what? God just wants to use those people over there. No, whose heart is loyal and who believes in Jesus. Amen? What are you believing for? What are you believing for? Point number five. And this one I'm going to unpack a little. Point number five. We must not limit our spirit man. If we want to see miracles in our lives, we must not limit our spirit man. Now, you guys, you understand what happened in creation. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that God formed man from where? From the dust of the earth. I don't know why people are so proud. I didn't say white people. I said, I don't know why people are so proud of the color of their skin. Hey, I'm like this. Hey, you are lighter than me. You are darker than me. You are like, the, oh, I'm chocolatey. Oh, look at my tan. You came from? That's how you're formed. And yet people think we are superior to that group and we are superior to that tribe just because of dust. When you look at the earth right now, you see some is red, some is chocolatey brown. Amen? Some looks pale, whitish. I had to get some sand quite recently because my kids are quite passionate about their long jump. So they said, Dad, can you organize a long jump pit for us at home? Because I told them that Carl Lewis, great long jumper from the 80s, Carl Lewis, he had a long jump pit at home. So they said, can you hook us up, please? And you know that type of sand, that river sand is quite expensive, right? I was shocked when I realized how much it costs. But anyway, I did that. But it's a certain color. It's a certain color, isn't it? So there are different types of soil. But how many of you know that a color you like might not be the best for agriculture? Who's into agriculture here? Who's a farmer here? I met a lady recently who um, is going to go into farming. And she said she, her dad uh, passed away, but he had about nine farms in the Eastern Cape. Nine farms. So I said, I need to hook you up to some people who are clued up about farming. Amen? Amen. It wasn't actually you, Kanye. I know you also in that in that situation. God bless you in that. Amen? Someone else, also from the Eastern Cape. There seems to be a lot of land in the Eastern Cape, come to think of it. Right? But what I find interesting about how God works is that the way he formed us, Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, he formed man from the ground. So don't worry about what you look like externally. Don't get caught up in that. But then what did it say? It says, then God breathed God breathed on man and he became a living being. Do you know what makes you human? The fact that you have a spirit. Is everyone following? 
And that spirit is already in you when you are in your mother's womb. And that's why abortion is wrong. Are you following? What makes you human is the fact that you have a spirit. And your spirit comes from God. That's why the Bible tells us that he's the father of all spirits. Is everyone following? He's the father of all spirits. That word father means originator. So we come from God, whether you're saved or unsaved. That's where we, that's where we belong. Now, what's the nature of your spirit? Your spirit can do anything that your body can do in terms of the senses. So your spirit can see. You see with your spiritual eyes. The Bible tells us, oh, taste and see how good the Lord is. You can taste with your spirit, man. Is everyone following? You can develop an appetite for spiritual things. How many of you know that a lot of tastes we have are acquired tastes? Who here likes pup? Don't be shy. <laughs> I saw Tuffy straight. Says that I know. It's funny with some people when we say, so are you saved or are you not saved? And some people are like, you know, are you a leader? Do you want to be a leader? Do you like pup? Okay. Now, let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you who like pup can eat pup by itself? Nothing else. <laughs> okay, the point is, the point is, for most people, you will agree that it doesn't taste nice by itself. You need to mix it with something else. A lot of tastes that we have, they are acquired tastes. Someone was saying to me they don't like kale the taste of kale, you know, those green leaves and so on. But those of us who grew up in Zimbabwe, who, had, um, who would eat uh, rape, kovo, all those types of um, vegetables and so on, we acquired that taste. Amen? Yeah. My wife likes asparagus. <laughs> who here likes asparagus? <laughs> Lena. <laughs> Maybe it's people who are into music and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> How many, who here likes Brussels sprouts? No one, oh, someone. <laughs> you see, in the same way that you acquire a taste in the natural, your spirit can also taste and see that God is good. Your spirit man acquires a taste for spiritual things. You feed your spirit man just as you feed your physical body. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. See with what? You can see with your spiritual eyes. You can hear with your spiritual eyes. In the same way that we talk, do you know that your spirit can also talk? The Bible says that we know not how we ought to pray, but the Spirit of God helps us to pray, right, and to make intercession on our behalf. When you are praying with your spirit, the Bible talks about worshiping God in spirit and truth. It's one thing to just worship God with your mind and with your voice. It's another thing when your worship comes from your spirit. That's why there's that song, Hear Our Spirits Sing. My question to you is, are you conscious of your spirit, man? And what are you making your spirit do? And here's the thing. A lot of Christians have limited their potential because their spirit man is still a baby. They can come and they can talk in church and they can do all sorts of fancy things. But when you look at them 
in terms of the spirit, with spiritual eyes, their spirit is a baby. It's not yet developed. Are you following me this morning? Your spirit can hear. How many of you remember Archbishop Benson Idahosa? Okay. Some of you might, some of you might not. All right. He, he uh, did a lot of work in the 80s and the 90s and the 70s in Nigeria. He's sort of like seen as the father of Pentecost in Nigeria. Okay. A lot of the, the spiritual leaders in Nigeria, when you say, who's your spiritual father? They'll say, Idahosa. And God used him in such a mighty way. In fact, when this man died, it was one of those things that was similar to Smith Wigglesworth. You know when guys just say, say to his wife, hey, I'm tired now. Hey, I'm tired. I think, you know, after I come back from that crusade, I think, yeah, that's it. I've, I've kind of pretty much done it. And then they die, okay? And he wasn't actually that old when he died. But one of the experiences he had was a lady in his church came to him and said, my husband, pastor, my husband has just left me. He's just left me. He's like, what did you do? You know, husband doesn't just leave. What did you do? Nothing, nothing. I didn't do anything. He just decided to leave. How many of you know sometimes that happens? Lord gave me a dream recently and showed me that sometimes that happens. Your mind can be besieged and people can just leave their spouse. And you can't explain it. It's like, what did they do? Who's the sweetest loving wife. I've counseled people where a wife will say, I've been a good wife, pastor. I've been good. And they'll list all the things. You wonder, so why did the guy leave? So it was one of those cases. And she said, I don't know, but he's just gone. He's gone to another town or something. He's just left. And guess what, guess what um, uh, Ida Hossa did? He says, don't worry. I'll call your husband. He'll come back. And he literally, just said, what's your husband's name? And he literally called. He says, come back, go, come back home. And you know with these testimonies, the way they work. The guy then talks about the time in which he was arrested in his heart. And it was the same time he was called. He was already in another town, flew back to his hometown. I don't know what had gripped me. And he basically was asked, so what did you hear? What made you come? It's like, I heard a voice. The voice sounded like your voice saying, I must come back. Your spirit can speak. Are you following me? And your spirit can speak to someone else's spirit, spirit to spirit. And some of you, to make your prayers more powerful, you need to be starting to address certain things spiritually. You need to be starting to speak to people's spirits and say, I, I'm telling you in the name of Jesus, but you only do it if it's aligned to the will of God. Are you following me? Otherwise, it becomes witchcraft. You see, it becomes witchcraft. You can't, you, you can't be like a married man and you like someone over there and say, I bind you to myself, I'm calling you to myself. You can't do that. And that's why sometimes we don't teach these things to just everyone. Because some people who are immature, they, they start abusing these things. But what I'm trying to encourage you to do is to learn how to command things in the spirit, how to address things in the spirit, and how to pray prayers from your spirit, not just from your mind as God leads you. Amen? Your spirit can speak. Your spirit can hear. And that's so important. Let me break it down a bit more. You see, many of us have limited God's power. The spirit, your spirit man, is powerful. Have a look. You don't have to turn there. John 20, verse 22 Jesus actually breathes on the disciples, doesn't he? He's ascended, just before his ascension, he's resurrected, and he says to the disciples a few things. 
And basically, he then breathes on them. The Bible says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the human spirit is powerful, but the born-again spirit is at another level. Amen? Because you see, what happens is, although my human spirit is God-like in a sense, because I was created in God's image and it connects me to God, but then what happens is when I'm born again, the born-again spirit, God's spirit comes and regenerates my spirit and reconnects me to God. The Bible tells us that no one knows God except the spirit of God. No one knows a man except the spirit of a man, but we've been given the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that means? It means you've got access to mysteries in heaven. Let me ask you something. Is there something you are trying to figure out in the natural and God is actually saying to you, seek my face and know in the spirit? Is there something you're trying to address naturally, but God is saying, I can actually tell you these things. The Bible tells us that the secrets of the Lord are for those who fear him. Say to the person next to you, you can know lots of stuff. Don't limit your knowing. You see, don't limit your, your, the power that you have because of your spirit. Don't limit the knowledge you have. Don't limit the connection with God that you can have. Don't limit the moral purity that you can have. Don't limit your geographical reach. Let me unpack that for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 to 12, it says here, but God has revealed it to us by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except his own spirit within him? So too, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now just pause there. No one knows God's thoughts except the Spirit of God. Where's the Spirit of God? How many of you are filled with the Holy Spirit? So how many of you can know the thoughts of God? Do you see that? And that's why the Bible says, continue, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that Jesus had the Spirit of God without measure. How do you enter dimensions of the Spirit of God? Yield to the Spirit of God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't do the things that cause the Spirit to lift. Amen? We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. A lot of Christians don't understand what God has freely given them. They're working for it. And God has said, it's already yours. There are things you're working for, but God has said, it's already yours. Mark chapter 2. I want to show you this. Remember, I'm talking about how your spirit can know certain things. Amen? That's one of the dimensions of the spirit. Your spirit can know certain things. Mark chapter 2, verse 7 to 8. Why does this man, they're talking about Jesus... Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? They were not saying this directly to Jesus. They were murmurings. This is what they were saying. Right? What does verse 8 say? It says, at once Jesus knew in his... At once Jesus knew in his spirit that they were considering this 
within themselves. Now, sometimes when someone knows, we then think they must be a prophet. God has called us to be a prophetic people. You don't have to be in the office of a prophet to be discerning of what people are thinking. Amen? Friends, this is the normal Christian life. But because the supernatural has not yet been normal, the moment someone can do this, we just think they must be a prophet because they've got that type of knowing. No, sometimes it's because they've developed their spirit. They've fed their spirit. You see, your spirit is the part of you that is God conscious. Your spirit is the part of you that connects with God. Your spirit, in your spirit, there's also your conscience. Amen? When someone is unsaved, their spirit is dead to the things of God. When you become saved, you are alive to the things of God. And when you feed your spirit, man, your spirit becomes stronger. And you become a spirit-conscious person instead of a carnal person. Amen? A lot of Christians are carnal. When they walk into a room, they're just more conscious of what they're seeing in the natural instead of being conscious about what they can perceive with their spirit. Are you following you can be in a room full of people and they're saying, we love you, we love you, we're so happy to see you. But God can cause you to discern and to know in your spirit what they were saying just before you walked into the room. Amen? There's a knowing that your spirit man has and God wants to develop that in us. And I find it interesting because so often we limit our spirit man. It says here, at once... Jesus knew in his spirit that they were considering this within themselves. He didn't know this in his spirit just because he was the son of God. Remember on certain matters, Jesus pressed pause on, okay, I'm functioning as the son of God here. And he basically says, I'm a man, fully man under the anointing of God. In the same way that I'm doing this, you can also do this. Amen? And what did he say? Why do you question these things in your hearts? Why do you question these things in your hearts? For those of you who are still doubting that maybe Jesus wants to reveal himself to you, Jesus wants to speak to you, look at this next verse, John 15, verse 15. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. In other words, a servant and master relationship, there's power distance. And Jesus is checking out these guys and he's like, ah, but the way we're relating, guys, this isn't a servant master thing. Things have shifted. Amen? I announce over you that things are shifting in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Things are shifting in your relationship with the Lord Jesus. You won't connect with him anymore from afar. And he will say concerning you, he says, instead, I have called you friends. Why? Why? What's the mark of a true friend? Watch this. For everything that I have learned from my father. How many things? Did Jesus say, ah, but some things, eh, <laughs> they're out of your reach, guys. In the book of John, you see Jesus' heart and Jesus' desire. He says to the disciples, you know what, guys, there's so much more I'd like to share with you, but you can't bear them all. He wasn't saying you don't qualify for them. He was just saying it'll be too much for you. Do you ever have it when a friend comes to see you and they've just been overseas on holiday and they're like, eh, I'm about to leave. I've only got uh, three minutes. I want to share so much with you, but hey, we don't have time. Ah, it'll be too much. You're writing exams right now. Oh, it'll be too much. That is Jesus' heart. And he says, 
I have, it says everything that I've learned from my father. My question is, how much was that? How much did Jesus learn from the father when he was functioning on earth? Everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. So if you're asking yourself the question, how much can Jesus reveal to me? How much can I know? Everything he's learned from the father. Don't think to yourself that these disciples were in another league, in another category. Amen? Amen. Come on, how many of you want this? I don't know, I'm desperate. I want, I want to know stuff. I want to know everything Jesus learned from the Father. I want his wisdom. I was listening to a particular prophet speak the other day, and he was talking about being in the council of heaven. And he was saying that there are certain decisions that are being made in heaven right now concerning nations. And sometimes God will just catch, you'll be caught up and you'll be listening to the council of heaven. And you'll be wanting this person to be president and then suddenly he hears that, oh no, this other guy is going to be the president. And he's like, oh, okay, it's been done. It's been decided in heaven. Isn't that interesting? How many of you would want to enter Jesus' council? How many of you would want to enter the council of the Lord and hear these things for yourself? Could it be that you've limited yourself because you've said, this is for that hired holy man from the north. It's not for some of us. Have you limited your Christianity? Your spirit knows certain things. Your spirit worships. John 4, verse 23 to 24 says, but a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why? For the Father is seeking such as these to worship him. Why? God is spirit. Say to the person next to you, God is spirit. His nature, his substance, God is spirit. So we connect with him spirit to spirit. Deep calls unto deep with the same stuff that God has isn't that powerful? We worship, we worship him with spirit because he is spirit. Amen? How many of you have tried to take something that's an Apple device? That's for an Apple device, right? And then you try to use it on a normal computer. I tried to do that the other day. I, I said, my love, that, that external disk drive that you have for playing DVDs for your Mac, Please, can I try and see if I can use it on my laptop? I put it in and what happened? There was no connection. It was designed for Apple. How many Apple people here? Ah, uh, yeah. Some of them are not sure. Some of them are in the transition. <laughs> All right? How many of you know that if we try to worship God out of spirit and truth, not in spirit and truth, but outside of that, there's no connection. There's no connection. Amen? Because we were designed and we were created for worship. We were designed and we were created for worship, but God said, just like with the Apple people and their reasons and motives why they do it, that way we know. But just like they say, when we've created this device, it will only work with this device, nothing else. That's the same thing God did when it came to worship. Are you worshiping him in spirit? It doesn't work just doing something in the flesh and thinking God is impressed. Amen? Spirit to spirit. Your conscience is a part of your spirit. 
Some people have a seared conscience. They've been doing all sorts of things for a long time, and now they just don't feel anything when they're doing that. And I preached on it a couple of weeks ago. But sometimes the deeper you get in God, you find that your conscience becomes sharper. Things that you were okay with doing in the past, you're not okay with anymore. Heart things and heart attitudes and certain thoughts that would have been okay to have in the past, you don't entertain anymore. Amen? Romans 8 verse 15 to 16 says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So don't say that Jesus could do the miracles because he was the son of God, because your spirit should know your sonship too. Your spirit should know your sonship too. The Bible here says that our spirit bears witness with us that we are sons of God. Are you following? That's one of the things your spirit man does. And when you know that, and when you know your oneness with Christ, you're able to walk in a greater dimension of power. But that's all happening in your spirit man. Okay? Matthew 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Bible tells us elsewhere, we shall become like him, for we shall behold him as he truly is. How do we behold him? With our spirit. Not in the natural. Romans 9 verse 1 to 2 says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying as confirmed by my conscience in the Holy Spirit. I have deep sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Some people have a conscience that's very God-orientated. Other people have a conscience on the other extreme that has been seared, that doesn't feel anything anymore. Amen? God wants to sharpen your conscience. Your conscience is a part of your spirit, man. Is everyone following? You see, when someone has got a sharpened conscience, you'll see them confessing stuff, and people will be saying to them, but you didn't need to apologize for that. There's nothing wrong with that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever experienced that? Where you go and you say, I'm really sorry, that was a bad attitude of mine. And they're like, oh, there's nothing wrong. And you kind of think to yourself, should I have even apologized? They hadn't even noticed anything. Why did you apologize? Your conscience is sharpened to the things of God. Amen? Don't limit the power of your conscience. Don't limit the power of your conscience. Things that others are not convicted of, you'll find yourself burdened by them. There are certain words I don't use that are okay for most people to use. There are certain thoughts I don't think that are okay for many people to think. One of the things I want to touch on with you, and it's the final one, concerning your spirit man, where we've limited our spirit man, is concerning the geographical reach of our spirit. Concerning what? The geographical reach of our spirit. I was in the middle of a conversation with my wife a couple of weeks ago, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Paul, how big is your spirit? Paul, how big is your spirit? You see, very often we've limited our spirit to our physical bodies. Amen? We've limited our spirit to our physical bodies. So we've assumed that because my spirit is housed in my physical body, then that's how 
big it is in terms of reach. I want to show you something very powerful in scripture. It says in Colossians 2 verse 5, Paul is speaking and he says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. Do you know what this is showing me? you know what this is showing me? The reach of your spirit man is not limited to where your body physically is. I'm just reading the Bible here, ladies and gentlemen. A matter is established by two or three witnesses, huh? Right. So let's go into it. He says, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see. So he was seeing stuff. He wasn't saying this based on what they told him. He's saying, I'm actually with you in spirit and I'm delighted by what I'm checking out. I've prayed certain prayers where the Lord has helped me and have said, position yourself spiritually over such and such and make certain declarations and so on. And those prayers are more powerful than when I'm just limited to here. Are you following me? You see, he says, he says this very powerful. He says, um, I'm delighted to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Though I'm absent in body, I'm with you in spirit. That's very powerful. That's very, very powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of it. Are you seeing? That shows me there's a possibility for someone to be caught up somewhere else and their body to still be somewhere else. Whether it was in the body or out of it, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man, remember he's talking about himself, right? Whether in the body or out of it, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise. The things he heard were too sacred for words. There's some things that you can hear in the spirit, but you need to pray first and say, God, are you permitting me to release this or not? And there are times when God might say, just like with Daniel, this prophecy is sealed because it's not for now, it's for a time in the future. Those of you who are prophetic here, when God speaks to you about certain things, it's not always to share. First thing to do is to pray about it. Amen? Okay? He says, the things he heard were too sacred for words. Things that man is not permitted to tell. This shows me that your spirit can have an impact beyond where you are physically located. Do you know that when you understand this, you begin to pray strong prayers for people in other continents, for situations in other continents, without feeling like, uh-uh, I don't qualify. How many of you remember Elisha? Do you remember Elisha? And do you remember what happened with Elisha? What happened with Elisha? Tell me. Tell me what happened with Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 12, he was giving feedback. He was giving prophetic advantage to the children of Israel. And the one guy, one of the minions of the opposition king said, you know what? It's because of their prophet Elisha. He hears what the king is saying in his bedroom chambers. Amen? God has given you that ability. 
as a child of God who's living in the New Covenant, New Testament, where sometimes you're about to do business with a particular organization and the Lord can show you certain things that are being plotted against you, where you hear. My wife was speaking earlier on, saying, sometimes I hear these voices behind me where this is what people are saying. Amen? Sometimes God can give you that prophetic advantage. But my question to you is, how much do you want to know? How badly do you want this? What I've noticed in the church, especially at Ignite on Friday, I went back and I said to my wife, I said, the people are hungry. They're hungrier than they've ever been. There's a difference. There's a shift that is happening in the church. Amen? Let's break out of passivity and let's break into building up our spirit, man, so we can know certain things from heaven. Let's pray.